0: welcome 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 back to the expediting change podcast it's so much love that y'all continue to come back and give me love watching my show bringing it to you talking about expediting change i am super excited today because we talk health wealth and happiness whatever order it is for you but today we're gonna get right into it with a gentleman i call my big bro joe so I'm going to allow my big so bro, Joe, to introduce himself, and we're get that. right to Open it. Open my mind and try to reach yours. Ask myself, why is it you really want to preach, boy?
1: I want to teach Tomorrow you. it's great to be with you. I'm Joseph Wright. I am uh, a pediatrician by training, pediatric emergency medicine physician by training, currently serving as the vice president and chief health equity officer for the University of Maryland Medical System, but I would be remiss if I didn't reference the fact that Shamari and I worked together for four years when I was the chairman of the Department of Pediatrics and Child Health at the Howard University College of Medicine right here in Washington, D.C. Absolutely. And again, pleasure to be here with you. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, my big bro, Joe, is uh, he, he excuse me.
0: <clears throat> He's so humble. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm Joseph Wright. He said, I'm Joe. This is doctor. This is the chair This is the man right here. So on this Expediting Change podcast, we are going to pick his brain today and start wherever he wants to start because we've been having conversations, um, as he just said, over the past four years about discrimination in healthcare, healthcare systems, about patient-centered healthcare as opposed to doctor-centered healthcare. So I'm going to open this up to be a little bit different than I would even normally do as opposed to just asking a
1: specific question and I'm going to say Joe where do you want to start well why don't we peel this back from the health system level and I'm glad you mentioned that term because that is what I'm currently doing my job is to unwind and dismantle mm. bias and discrimination and racism in the healthcare system mm-hmm. and so if we start there I think we can can peel back and um and and frankly get into some of my uh, personal challenges, okay, as a professional, as a black man doing yep. this work, yep, and uh, and 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 get into a conversation there. That's a bet. Let's get into that. it. Let's
0: let's peel this onion back. So, tell me what is your
1: top concern right now? Yeah. So my job is to focus on equity in patient care mm. delivery, and mm. and it sounds pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Of course. Everybody ought to be afforded a level playing field mm-hmm. when it comes to healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, there are decades, if not centuries, mm-hmm. of systematic and s- structural barriers and mm-hmm. impediments to that ideal. Mm-hmm. And right now, I am literally working on those <clears throat> practice guidelines and algorithms, what literally lives. In the textbooks, Mm. what lives in the electronic health record that the providers use as a reference, Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. lives in the electronic tools is something called up to date that every um, student, Mm -hmm. resident, and practitioner has available uh, on their handhelds Mm -hmm. to help guide them Mm -hmm. in delivering patient care. And embedded in these tools, are decades and centuries Mm. of the racism Mm. that has been, and I'll say, the pseudoscience that has supported the embedding of racism in the guidelines that actually result in the delivery of care and result in the disparities Mm
0: -hmm. in that care. Justifying it.
1: Justifying Justifying it. it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'll give you one example. So, uh, and this is an example that has hundreds of years of um, uh, of history here. In 1781, Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. uh, considered you know, an you know, en- I, like I know considered <laughs> an enlightened an enlightened individual yep. of his era, yep. stated that the lung capacity in the enslaved was deficient compared to white. Slave owners. Mm,
0: say that one more time. And also, how are we going to qualify that, yes. Dr. Wright? There you go. Was here we he go, a here pediatrician? Go. Was here he go.
1: a scientist? Not Was only qualify it, but I will tell you that this this is documented. And this is something that we can get into when mm-hmm. I talk about my own personal tactics and mm-hmm. strategies and mm-hmm. tactics. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the Library of Congress, yep. there is a, a, a very well-cited treatise called the um state of the history of the state of Virginia okay. it was called. Okay. and 1781 is when it was published. Mm-hmm. and this is among the uh premises that, yeah. that Jefferson <clears throat> cited in that treatise that again, let me restate that lung capacity was deficient in the enslaved that's, that's compared crazy. to So again, this is not this th- this is purely speculative, one man's judgment. However, this concept lived on and into the following century, the mid-19th century, here you had slave-owning physicians who began to conduct research, experiments, Mm. obviously unauthorized experiments on the enslaved on their plantations Mm. and repeated the concept. And not only that, Stated it with 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 more uh, quantitative certainty that there's twenty percent twenty percent deficiency in lung capacity. So trying to validate, among, like, trying to validate and substantiate. Yep. Again, using pseudoscience, I call yep. it pseudoscience. Yep. But <clears throat> this lives on in the peer reviewed literature. I I mean, I find I found these statements. I, yep. this is not this is not Joseph Wright. Yeah talking here yep. I am quoting literally yep. from uh referenceable yeah uh, publication yeah the information uh, and this gem- this this physician who I'm talking about right now Samuel Cartwright a slave owning um physician in Louisiana mm-hmm. published several papers
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh where he uh, again justified and went on to talk about get this and I want to get this right mm-hmm. uh for the listeners that he went on to say not only was lung capacity deficient, but the remedy for fixing the problem was forced labor. This <laughs> yeah. is, again, quote. these are quotes around everything I'm saying here <laughs> is referenceable, and you can look it up yourself. Yeah. So here we are, mid-19th century. This is um, uh, now moving into what we would call the modern era of medicine, yep. and if anyone has ever used a spirometer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: has had to breathe into a spirometer to see how much air you can force yep. into that spirometer as a yep. measurement of your, yep. your lung function. Yep. I have. I that, have crazy allergies, so yeah, i so, that low. Yeah, yeah that, so yeah. That, <laughs> that instrument, that spirometer, is race-normed. Wow. What do I mean by that? Mm-hmm. The actual instrument, the Mm -hmm. machine, Mm -hmm. actually someone's going to look at you and say, well, I think you are X, race or ethnicity, dial in that race, ethnicity to the machine and create an equation Mm -hmm. based on that race norming. Mm -hmm. That race norming dates back to Cartwright, Mm -hmm. dates back to Jefferson. Mm -hmm. That premise, again, that unsubstantiated premise- that race somehow is linked to lung function and lung capacity that's crazy so, so you then, have an, you have an
0: agnostic machine <laughs> that is not ai that is not learning but getting its bias from the humans that are programming it
1: yes and that and that have been programming it for for centuries, centuries. so the and, and now let me bring it to current right now yeah. current state <clears throat> In the pandemic that we are still in, yep, there were decisions about access to therapies based on the attempt to quantify what someone's lung function was. So, mm-hmm. the, basically, if you real sick, you you get X medicine. If you're yep. not that sick, we're going to hold off. Yep. And some of the after-action yep. study through the pandemic has revealed. That there were circumstances where individuals were uh, stopped from receiving certain therapies based on this race norming assessment of their lung function, which is now being debunked as, as not legitimate. Wow. And that there were clearly. Clearly. And there's one study I'm thinking of right now in um, uh, Hispanic men. Mm-hmm. This was published just a few months ago yeah. where the, uh, the judgment about what is normal mm-hmm. lung function for mm-hmm. that group of individuals mm-hmm. was erroneous <laughs> and that they were denied uh, uh, therapies wow. based on that. Uh, that assessment. So, so let's talk about that yeah. because
0: first off, it's scary. Yeah. But for individuals who we know aren't going to do the research, some okay, some not. But me or my family or anyone watching this podcast who doesn't have a medical background, what's the danger in this? What, 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 what's the outcome for me? How does this negatively impact me and my family?
1: So, um, good question, and this is a question that I get most often. Mm-hmm. Is first of all, are is the public aware of this? Mm. I have I have published extensively and written on this uh, over the course of the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to share mm-hmm. uh, my own uh, research, which is again highly cited, highly referenced, so yep. that anyone who wants to take a deeper dive can yep. they can go to the sources. Yeah. Um, what what mm-hmm. I am Doing in addition to unwinding, I've given you but one example talking about the lungs. There's a whole host of other no examples. No doubt. Well, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give one more that's yep. important mm-hmm. for, for folks to be aware of. But I will say this. We have to become educated because uh, there has been surreptitiously hidden history here. Yep. In other words, everything I've talked to you about yep. is referenceable. You can go look it up. But 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 it's been hidden in plain sight. Yep. And so we okay. have to become schooled on what is the reality of, frankly, race-based medicine. No doubt. And, and let me just define that really quickly. Yep. Uh, when, when we say race-based medicine, we're talking about the use, the erroneous use of race as a biologic proxy. Mm. Let me say that again. Mm-hmm. Race is a social construct. Absolutely. It is not a biologic construct. Absolutely. So when we incorporate race into clinical decision-making, we are assuming that race is somehow driving the biologic factors that produce disparities. No doubt. And that is a a, dangerous dangerous concept. Dangerous. And so, and what has happened is that the incorporation of race as a biologic proxy, has woven, it, woven its way into the clinical decision-making such that you can pick up one of these algorithms, yep. literally go down the decision-making path. You get to a box that says race, yes, no, and sending you decision a certain way. sending you a certain way. Mm. That's what race-based medicine is, when mm-hmm. race is used as a as part of a decision-making or a dichotomizing algorithm, you yep. make a decision one way or another based yep. on a person's, and often it is often the the race based on what someone assumes. They look at you and say, "Oh, I think," and, and <laughs> make a decision. Absolutely, absolutely. and so, black uh, people
0: are not a monolith.
1: That's right, right? Absolutely, not a absolutely. And 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 uh, I'm going to come back to um, talking about chronic kidney disease okay. in a moment because okay. I want people to understand that one as well. Okay, but you've hit on something very important. Mm-hmm. Folk of color are are, are not a monolith. Mm-hmm. And when you weave in the history of genetic ancestry yep. in this country and the degree to which there is tremendous admixture, yep. there is really no legitimate validation
2: mm-hmm.
1: for the legitimacy of skin color mm-hmm. as a determining factor in clinical decision-making for for healthcare, for healthcare. And, and, and that's really what we're talking that's about. That's crazy. Yeah got to rewind yeah. that
0: and listen to what he just said. That is impactful. But Big Bro Joe, I, I have the luxury of being able to text you, call you, or do our Silver Diner breakfast, right? but everybody does not have that luxury and if you, you, if you know you know and if you don't you don't so yeah. wh- wh- where does that
1: person go how do they start what what, what are they looking for let me tell you let, let me tell you something that's happening and, and 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 you know that i've grown up in in academic medicine absolutely that that is where i've spent my career and 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 and, and where i generate my currency yep. uh for this kind of work is in the academic space mm-hmm. and i am happy to say that the work that I have published is available to the public. It doesn't live behind a firewall, it doesn't live behind a subscription, uh, 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 pay. Right. So, so what we're talking, what have we been talking about here, mm-hmm. is available. Mm-hmm. It is available. If you were to simply Google, uh, Google okay. my name, yeah, Joseph L. Wright, MDMPH, yeah. These this content would come up. Okay, this content would become available, and and I, and I'm glad to say, just jumping to uh, where we'll be wrapping up this conversation, what what I've been able to do is to get the attention of editors and journals who look; those are businesses, Sweet. and 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 they generate revenue okay. based on subscription. Absolutely, and and uh, however the importance of this work has not been lost on that, on mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So, so the uh, public access availability of, um, uh, of literally everything that I published in the last year on, on race-based medicine mm-hmm. is available to the mm-hmm. public, and folks can actually uh, just find it. Absolutely. So Google
0: Dr. Joseph Wright. But I want to get back to that, though. Let, let's, let's talk about the other example that you had. Yeah. Let's 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 get into that because folks folks need to hear you and I have had the conversation, but yeah. the folk the people need to hear it.
1: Okay, let me break this one down. Um, black folk in America have experienced a huge disparity when it comes to chronic kidney disease. Yes. Yeah. And when you peel back the um, etiology of that, you find something very interesting that based on, again, an assumption, an assumption rooted in pseudoscience, not based on, in in, in fact, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: has driven much of that disparity. Mm -hmm. An assumption that we as black people have greater skeletal muscle mass than than other people Mm -hmm. has led to an adjustment in the way that we calculate kidney function. Mm. Basically saying for you and I as black men, well, your kidney disease is not so bad because you're a black person, and That's we assume crazy. that the the um, the laboratory value, which is called creatinine, mm-hmm. that the creatinine, which is abnormal in you, well, it's abnormal in you because y'all have greater muscle mass mm. than everybody else. Mm. So we're not going to provide you access to advanced kidney care or a transplant if Mm. you should need it until you get sicker.
0: That's crazy.
1: That's basically the bottom line. So there, again, has been um, an adjustment made based on an assumption for a group of people that has rendered them at a place where when we present for treatment of our kidney disease, We are sicker, and in many cases, sicker beyond the place where we can get access to something like a kidney transplant should we need it. That's right. And uh, so so this is another example of race-based medicine where there is a decision made based on race, and this has been rooted unquestioned, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: unquestioned Mm
2: -hmm.
1: in um, the... uh, the medical literature, and the way that we practice. Now, thankfully, there's been a great deal of attention mm-hmm. on, on this particular race-based medicine algorithm, and I'm happy to report that health systems around the country, including mine, mm-hmm. uh, have uh, it dismantled the algorithm, it eliminated the algorithm, and... Um, so, so So what does that countermeasure look like? Is it, that
0: literally... Reprogramming the machine, deleting the algorithm. It's new program machines. It's
1: reprogramming the equation. The actual laboratory. Your your blood test goes to the lab. Yep. And the parameter of race is not there. Okay. Heretofore, race was a factor in actually running the laboratory test. Yep. And determining the staging mm. of your disease. Mm-hmm. Now, race has been eliminated Ooh. from that that um process. So
0: it, it, are there any laws surrounding it? I mean, <laughs> oh I mean, I mean cuz it almost sounds yeah. illegal, right? It's like well, when I go to fill out an application, yeah. check all that apply or I don't have to check anything. So are the health systems now mandated to not send the race or is it just based off of their own
1: decision making? At this point, at this point we are generating momentum okay across the landscape of the profession okay we're big health systems we are 30 000 employee 12 campus system yep. so when we make a move like that people yep. pay attention people see it so uh we did this in uh announced it in november and actually executed on it in february of 2022 so nice. um so folk i've been getting a lot of calls okay how did you do that yeah how did you do that? Help me understand how we do that. Yeah. Um, but this is this is changing practice. No doubt. This is changing practice. For the good. Yes, for the good and leveling the playing field. So mm-hmm. the proof in the pudding, the proof in the uh in the action will be this. Now we follow what happened with our folk mm-hmm. relative to the Access to mm-hmm. advanced kidney care, mm-hmm. to uh access to transplant mm-hmm. uh compared to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And there should be no difference.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now there's gonna be a lot of catch-up time because we got a lot of sick people with chronic kidney disease no who have not been afforded that that, that access in the past. But, yep. but moving forward, we are beginning to track yep. whether that how that playing field has been leveled, yep. um, and making sure that race is not a part of the staging. Should should it it be
2: legislated?
1: You know, there there are, yes. There there are um, opportunities, opportunities uh, where legislation can help. Uh, And this is, um, uh, for instance, newborn screening. Mm -hmm. Newborn screening picks up diseases based on a blood test in Mm -hmm. all newborns, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, there are examples uh, where this can be useful Mm -hmm. and uh, hasn't really been acted on, Mm -hmm. and we have disparities that go undetected Mm -hmm. in, in black babies, and I can talk about an example there. But to your broader question, this we we first have to just get people to practice medicine correctly no doubt you know I I, I hesitate on the legislation mm-hmm. because we just got to teach the thing right no doubt we got to be no doubt. objective yeah we've got it has to be rooted in true science yeah not something speculative yeah not something that uh uh someone believes yep. that is unsubstantiated yeah which has really been the the root yeah of how we got here. So we got to crawl
0: before we walk, which is inclusive of getting right before we even get to legislation because we could get to legislation and it's just not right. So you got A- to get, get, right get
1: to people. You got to get to people. Well, I am, first of all, I am really heartened mm-hmm. that the folks who have been pushing hardest here mm-hmm. are the next generation of of uh, providers. Okay. The people, the students, the medical students and the health profession students across all disciplines. That's dope. And the folks who are in training right now, they're the ones who are pushing. They walk, walk. They're the ones who are, are, are challenging dogma. Yep. Who are saying, ah, I don't know about that. Yep. You got to tell me why race is appropriate here. Absolutely. And, and so it is transformational change. Absolutely. But it's also generational change. Absolutely. And um, so until, frankly, we get the curmudgeons out of the leadership roles who yep. have been trained differently, and yep. and uh, where we are struggling yep. to get that change to happen, it, this is going to be—we didn't get here overnight. Absolutely. And 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 I, and it's going to be generational work. No absolutely. Doubt. So like so like turning a cruise ship, not a speedboat. Right? That's right. That's absolutely so, right.
0: So that's that's good on the end of the providers, but what can I do when I walk into my doctor's office?
1: you know I, I think we again as 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 consumers, yeah. we got to be educated okay and I would direct people to be you know ask questions hey uh, what about that uh, my chronic kidney disease yep. um I understand that around the country um that uh, that race has been uh taken out of the equation. Can you tell me about that yep. I think we have to push and challenge yep. our providers, which is something that uh culturally-hmm we have not done absolutely, and 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 we also have to really be uh, aware. Um, for instance, women of childbearing age. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going through my whole
2: my whole paper
1: right now. <laughs> uh, women of childbearing age need to be um, aware mm-hmm. that just because they may have had a a cesarean section mm-hmm. uh, previously, mm-hmm. that they they are not. Uh, confined to having c-sections for the rest of their reproductive life. Mm-hmm. And why do I say that? Well, because one of the other race-based algorithms that um that I came across in our in our research has to do with the fact that black and Hispanic women were less likely to be offered mm. the opportunity for, a trial of labor to deliver vaginally after having had a previous C-section. She's automatically see automatically a C-section and then another that just say, That's right. go C-section. Let's go C-section based, based on right. someone's
0: subjective opinion. Subjective
1: opinion, and again, rooted in um, documentable but uh, racist premises. I, I looked at a textbook from the 1930s and saw a picture of what is called. A the a gynecoid pelvis. We're talking about the shape of the pelvis, mm-hmm. and the gynecoid pelvis is the standard. Mm-hmm. That's the pelv. That's the white pelvis, the mm-hmm. gynecoid pelvis, mm-hmm. and anything else is less likely to result in 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 safe uh, vaginal birth. Now we've been birthing babies from time and time. Right. absolutely,
0: and and so without knowing what, what it looks exactly. like exactly,
1: <laughs> and so you know seeing this this documented picture in a in a, a gynecology textbook OBGYN textbook mm-hmm. was just more evidence mm-hmm. that um it reminds me of um uh Chenyu Achebe mm-hmm. said uh until the lion learns to read mm. the the story will always be told from the hunter's perspective absolutely Oh, so damn. until we call this out, yep. until we call because this is again in plain sight. I didn't yep. have to go far. Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah. Maybe finding a 1930s textbook. It wasn't on my shelf. <laughs> I <no> t- but, <laughs> <mine either. laughs> but it had, but this stuff lives moves forward. Right. right. And when I saw that, that 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 racialized science talking about the gynecoid pelvis and the non-gynacoid pelvis, mm-hmm. the non-gynacoid pelvis obviously uh referring to those who are are, are are not white European mm-hmm. standard, mm-hmm. Um, this has lived on in that particular specialty such mm-hmm. that we had this algorithm that says, well, you know what? If you have had a previous cesarean section as a black or brown woman, guess what? Mm-hmm. You are destined to have another C-section and another C-section. That's just crazy. Uh, and so, again, thankfully... The profession is waking up, yeah. and for the um, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, they have eliminated mm-hmm. those parameters from that particular algorithm, another move that our health system has made mm-hmm. and that people are paying attention to. Mm-hmm. But to your point, when I say people paying attention, I'm getting a lot of attention from industry. Yeah. We really need to emphasize this with the public. Okay. And so for women of childbearing age, particularly if you've had a previous C-section, ask your your OB, your Mm -hmm. obstetrician, Mm -hmm. about uh, the vaginal birth after C-section. It's called VBAC Mm -hmm. for short, vaginal birth after C-section. And have that conversation and make sure that 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 provider, that that physician or their practice is attuned to what's going on.
0: So press them. So press them.
1: Press them. I, I love it. So uh,
0: th- this question is the question I ask everybody on the expediting change podcast because the podcast was created to talk about what are we doing? Boots on the ground. Where the rubber meets the road. But everything you just talked about is boots on the ground. Rubber meets the road. Right. So um, we still go ask the question. Big bro, Joe, talk to me about the practicality of it. Let me know how are you expediting change right now? For everything that we just talked about,
1: yeah, I, and I, and um, uh, you signaled that this is where we were going to go with this conversation, mm-hmm. and and I've had some hard lessons learned myself. I'm passionate about this work. Yep. you know, I've been a black man in medicine for thirty plus years. No mm-hmm. doubt. So um, I've even struggled with, wow. I've been trained on these very same principles. Now, I'm, I'm going to share one mm. vignette before we get into no, no the boots of... on the ground. Yep. I was mid, a mid-career uh, associate professor, very successful uh, teacher here at one of the major children's hospitals. Um, and uh, when I first learned about uh, Vivian Thomas, anyone who's seen the film um, something the Lord made most mm-hmm. deaf mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. playing Vivian yeah. Thomas mm-hmm. uh, as a black man mm-hmm. who created, created, literally created the surgical procedure to uh, correct the blue baby syndrome. Mm-hmm. And in a nutshell, the blue baby syndrome was was basically a, um, a genetic abnormality of the heart mm. that would would kill babies. Oh. And uh, Vivian mm-hmm. Thomas, who is a carpenter by training, but a brilliant, brilliant man who never had an opportunity, uh, was taken on as a research apprentice mm-hmm. by the father well, who was considered, again, the father of, of uh, modern surgery, mm-hmm. uh, Alfred Blaylock at Johns Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And in their laboratory, Vivian Thomas was able to develop the procedure and the instruments, because you can imagine operating on an infant's heart requires special instruments. So the cut to the the chase, I was really incensed to not know about this because I've taken care of hundreds of babies with this defect. And uh, the Blaylock-Tausig shunt Mm -hmm. is the procedure, the surgical procedure. Now, Mm -hmm. you notice that it doesn't say, it doesn't reference anything about Vivian Thomas. It's Mm -hmm. Blaylock who is... is, um, uh, the white man
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh and 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 Lynn Tausig um who was a cardiologist at Hopkins yeah. white woman who basically gave no attribution no attribution whatsoever to Vivian Thomas when this procedure was um uh, uh developed and the first baby saved in 1944 front page of then what was called Life magazine yeah. Vivian Thomas is mentioned nowhere whitewashed yes yes as i said hidden history mhm and I was, I was feeling some kind of way. I'm like, wait a minute. I've been taking care of these kids my my whole career. Mm-hmm. I have been part of, you know, I I I've been part of the hidden history. Yeah. So personally, yep. I have had to reconcile myself mm-hmm. that I need to get even more steeped in knowledge and history. No doubt. And uh not knowing about uh, having to see something the Lord made and 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 most deaf mm-hmm. tell the story to me mm-hmm. as opposed to every day why Absolutely. am I not seeing this in Absolutely. my textbooks
0: I like why do strength.
1: we not yes and um so that was inspirational for me this was probably that that film was probably now 15 years old mm-hmm. but um I would still commend it to folk mm-hmm. because it, it is not only a a, a, a story that tells about a pivotal moment mm-hmm. in medical history. Yeah, but you can imagine Vivian Thomas in 1940s Baltimore. Yep, the struggles that he had absolutely um, to uh, to to really get the attention and do the work. But it was his tutelage mm-hmm. that changed the face of medicine mm-hmm. because after that procedure was developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there became the specialty of cardiac surgery, which mm-hmm. didn't exist. The, mm-hmm. the premise before that was, the, was that you can't operate on the heart. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. Vivian Thomas turned that around. No doubt. So I say all that to say that when I when I think about the tactics and the strategies under those tactics uh, uh, the, the tactics under those strategies that that I have come to employ, mm-hmm. it is. A an over-attribution of fact. Mm. And what I mean by that is that we have to direct people to the source yeah. of these transgressions. Mm-hmm. We have to be very clear that this isn't something that is being made up. Yeah, This isn't conjecture. Yeah. This is actual fact, and I will take you to the source. No doubt. And I will show it to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So asked. anyone who, again... Yeah. Google's my name and looks at the work that I've written. Will notice that these these uh, papers, these articles, yeah. are highly cited and highly referenced, so that folks can say, "Okay, I know where I can find this, or I can direct you to it." Absolutely. And I think that's very important. That credibility is is key. Okay. So that we're not talking in the subjectivity that 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 they have yeah. uh, enacted on us. Absolutely. Uh, the other tactic. That I have leveraged is is having people appreciate the value of differential lived experience. Mm. Now I call, I call it diversity of thought. You know that sounds so sim- simplistic, right? Mm-hmm. But however, I will tell you that even when even when I share bits and pieces of my own journey, mm-hmm. folk are like, "What?" Joe, really you? <laughs> yeah. And 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 you know, folks struggle if they have not been exposed to really appreciate uh, the journey, the uniqueness yeah. of our own individual journey. Yeah. And and so I have, um, you know, at, at, at some. Emotional peril. I will confess to mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Um, leverage my own family history, mm-hmm. uh, and and we are fortunate that we have been able to trace back again, factually, very factually, mm-hmm. um, real, concerted, and and clear, lived experience in ways that that point out a differential path. Uh, for not only me and my family but for others who um, work with who work with diver- in diverse communities yeah. and uh, and particularly in my field of pediatrics there is no more uh, rapidly diversifying segment of yeah. the population in this country yeah. other than uh, than children children mm. under the age of 18 have already become the majority mm-hmm. of that. Segment of the population. Let me say that again. Children of color have already become, and this was this was 2018. Yeah. So there are more children of color yep. than any other kind of children absolutely <laughs> in the United States. And absolutely. by and I think the the uh, projected date for the entire population mm-hmm. to hit that threshold is, is just um, uh, 20 or so years off. Absolutely. Um, so you know I think we have to. Point these things out and yep. not be scared to do that. <laughs> no doubt. Don't be scared. You gotta be just. You just have to be very direct. Yep. Um, and a uh, uh, very factual. Now, I've had people. I've had people get up and walk out of the room of my lectures, mm. and and you know that's okay. Yep. That's okay. Absolutely. We my another tactic that I use is to just flood the field with yep. information. Yep. Just flood the field. Yep. I'm, I'm I'm gonna keep coming at you. And everybody's not gonna come along. Yeah. And, and that's fine. I, you know I I was um I currently am a board member mm-hmm. of my professional society mm-hmm. and uh when we began this journey uh pre George Floyd by the way mm-hmm. um there was a there was a colleague who said to me you know we're going to lose members over this and I said and mm. and Yep. and can't be scared right right you gotta so, do the right thing so it's about truth yep it's about reconciliation. You got to get people to reconcile in their own mind what mm-hmm. they're hearing, mm-hmm. and you know, adult education theory says folks have to hear things seven seven, times. Seven, eight times yep. before it even I said that yesterday. It even sinks I had in. I a leadership meeting yesterday. Yeah, so we've got to be, uh, we have got to be very deliberate mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and stay on message truth and reconciliation and we can't be we can't get to transformation until you've taken those first steps Mm. truth reconciliation and transformation you can't can't just leap to transformation until you get people's attention absolutely and get people's attention with truth Mm. and the reconciliation uh takes time absolutely it takes time absolutely
0: big bro joe That was deep. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for coming on here to talk about it with us. Um, Listen, podcasters, listen, audience, if it feels heavy, it's for a reason. If you feel some type of way, you should. Everything that Dr. Wright just said, we've had many of conversations about But it still feels heavy to me, even though we've had these conversations. So we're a solution-oriented podcast, expediting change now. Dr. Wright said a bunch of things, but one of the key things I want you to walk away with is arm yourself. And I don't mean go get your guns. That's not what I'm talking about. All right, squad, don't get your guns. But maybe get your guns. But I completely digress. In this podcast, in this piece, what you want to do at Arm Yourself is with information. It's easy enough to take whatever it is going on with you and Google it. Put it in your phone and have it there so when you go to your care provider, you can have it in your phone to ask the questions based off what you researched. Now, everything on Google is not necessarily true but let them validate that for you, right? So what we have to do, what we need to do as black and brown people for the culture is be in a position where we are going to advocate for ourselves, because if we want to be rich, if we want to prosper, if we want to be wealthy, then we have to maintain our health. And a function of that starts with our mental health to get into a position where we are going to advocate for our physical health. Dr. Wright, it has been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. This is Expediting Change, and please stay with us. As I open my mind and try to reach yours, ask myself, why is it you really want to preach, boy? I want to teach more.